Welcome to The Big Rich Show. This podcast will focus on conversations with friends and acquaintances within the four-wheel drive industry. Many of the people that I will be interviewing, you may know the name, you may know some of the history, but let's get in depth with these people and find out what truly makes them a four-wheel drive enthusiast. So now's the time to sit back, grab a cold one, and enjoy our conversation. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two, Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. All right, here we are with uh, my son, Rich Klein otherwise known as uh, Little Rich in the industry, at least back in the old days. Now it's Rich Klein and Big Rich. Anyway, kid, it's great to have you on here. Um, Conversations with Big Rich. Campfire type talk about the days of rock crawling, where we started, where the sport started, and how we've moved on into the future. So what do you have to say? Well, you know, these interviews and whatnot have evolved essentially over the years. And so this is pretty cool to be able to do podcasts and different videos like this. But, you know, as far as the uh, history of the sport and, and how things uh, used to be and, and, and what has to, you know, basically how that's gone to how things are now, you know, this sport's been around for, in my eyes, it's, it's a long time. It's at least half my life or if not more in all honesty, I like to tell people that, uh, I got my rollover or my first rollover at two years old. And thanks to you. And uh, I was only a passenger. (laughs) And uh, since then I've been hooked. So can't uh, get away from the sport for whatever reason. So, um, you know, when I look at the, what were the early days for me in rock crawling, I remember going to Warren nationals with you on Johnson Valley where they were out at the master's course and camping in a tent on the on the dry lake bed before there was ever thought of any kind of racing out there literally getting blown from one end of the lake bed to the other i don't think we got an ounce of sleep that night and then and i'm pretty sure just about everyone else in the lake bed was the same way then in the morning you know we didn't do much for breakfast couldn't do much because it was so windy but get in our rigs and drive into the middle of the desert we don't really know where the master's course was at the time you know just it's got to be somewhere over there in fact when we got there the night before we didn't really even know where johnson valley was we pulled into the wrong spot we were at bessemer mine if i remember right so anyway we go out to the master's course and and here's the legends of the sport who at that point they they didn't know that they were going to be legends of a sport they were just out there doing something cool that was unique and different and closely related to what they enjoyed the most, which was trail riding. You know, now you've got these guys that are in their in their Jeeps with their gumbo mutters and you know, a couple guys that have some sort of sponsorships. You know, the Currys are out there and Walker Evans is out there and Pat Gramillion. And I remember seeing his Bronco and narrowed and, and everything. And it was just really cool to to be part of that and the first one. You know, you've got Basically, there was no spectator boundaries. I remember standing on the front line, 10 feet away from the vehicle, and as it progressed through the course, so did we. 
Uh, obviously, vehicles have come a long way. A lot of those drivers have, have moved to greener pastures, essentially. And then the safety has come a long way as well. Early days of rock crawling were pretty dangerous, you know, and, and luckily throughout the years, we've tidied that up and, and it's a legitimate sport now. And, you know, you look at the, the transformation of vehicles. I yesterday literally just bought John Bondurant's Toyota pickup truck. I uh, saw that for sale and I was like, oh, yeah, good job. I, I bought it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I saw it and I text him. It's mine. Don't fucking sell it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> All good. Podcast. Doesn't matter. Right. That's easy. You can go to um, <laughs> you know, I, I want this. Hit me up or whatever. And and so we talked. And and so I'm going to try to fully restore it. Have it uh, set up to, um, at that point, I'll talk to Barbara Rainey and get it installed into the uh, Off-Road Motorsports Hall of Fame for a couple weeks or a couple months. And then uh, And then get a chance to go wheeling with it. It's a cool rig. You know, and then that's one of those early rock crawling vehicles. You know, he was, he was interesting. And I kind of felt this way a little bit myself. John's been out of the sport for a long time. Not only has he been out of the competition scene, but, you know, he, he sold all pro off-road to the Trail Gear Corp. And since then, he's been completely off the radar. Having done that myself, you find that, you get humbled really quick because you don't really know if anybody remembers you or if, if people in the sport have su- such new blood has come in that they don't know who you are anyway. And so that always takes your, your original thought of where you stood in the industry and, and then puts you in your place. Right. And when I came back from Alaska, I was both surprised and felt, I don't know, the love of the industry at the same time. Here's a large swath of people that got into the sport since I had left in, you know, three and a half, four years. But you still had the old reliable group that they knew who I was and and they remember me from from the earlier days of rock crawling. And and I could just kind of pick up where I left off with them. And but I still had to prove myself in other ways to the new group. So when John posted the, the truck last night, you know, I was about an hour late to getting to him. And he said he literally had over a hundred messages to buy the vehicle. And he was waiting for a person that he knew that would really take care of the vehicle and, and restore it and, and everything. And he was humbled by the fact that even though he'd been out of the sport, that people still had a love for, you know, his impact on the sport and what he did. So I always feel like that that's uh you know, that's a lot of these guys. They started out, they, they built the sport basically at the beginning. You know, they were the drivers that, that hung it out on the lawn, all out on the line. And, you know, John, he, he went from driving this Toyota pickup truck to, and it was capable and it's a good rig, but going from that to literally driving the most capable rock crawler in the history of the sport at the time. And it's still very capable today. Absolutely. And, and that's I, tiny, right? Yeah. You know, he, I think he won like 22 straight rock crawling events between Pro Rock, which uh, nobody ever went to anyway, and U Rock and us. That's you know? not nice, but. Well, <laughs> Sorry. hard to, not on John's behalf, but on, you know, some of these drivers, and I'll give them shit because I, I can. Uh, but guys like Tracy Jordan and Jason Shear and even Cody Wagner racked up, you know, 10, 12, 
20 wins. I'm the most bestest driver ever in the history of the sport because I beat myself <laughs> and two other people in my class. Uh, they, and they are great drivers, obviously. They perform well then and they do now as well. But, you know, when you go to a – I digress. Anyway, you know, you just get uh, – humbled, I guess, you know, and, and so at, what was it? I don't even know, 16 years old, 14, 14 years old at the first war nationals, I think some, somewhere on there. Um, yeah, we were, well, I think, God, that would have been 98, 99, 98. Nine. Yeah. Yeah. So I was born in 84. So whatever the, uh, year I was 13, 14 years old. Yep. You know, that's going and, and, and following guys like Tracy Jordan when he had his, uh, his FJ 40 and everything and, and kind of emulating or wanting to emulate, you know, his vehicle build. Remember that FJ 40 that we got for a while there, you know, that was, to me, that was what I wanted to, to build was Tracy's rig, you know, and you go from being a, a fan of the sport to, then having an opportunity to make an impact on it, right? Which you and uh, Ranch Pratt, who I actually recently caught up with during the Mint 400, you know, had a had sat down and, and mapped out a possible location for a rock crawling event as you being the, the president of Colored Country Four-Wheelers in Cedar City, Utah. And you introduced the, the earliest portion of the sport to one of the longest standing comp sites, throughout the sport, you know? So here's now Cedar city, Utah being introduced at, in the year 2000, I think. So it was the very next year after master's course that they decided to do a full series. And I think that was 99. Yeah. So I remember <laughs> specifically, uh, Shannon Campbell having uh, fun roosting around in the dirt and, uh, and Yeah. You remember this too. You came unglued. Yeah, he he went over the top of that one bush, and yeah, yep. people locals came up to me and said, "You know what the hell?" Yeah, and so you went to pull him out of his vehicle and give him the beating of his life. No, just a discussion. <laughs> You're like, can I not poke the bear? <laughs> Who's so, the bear? Him or me? <laughs> right? No, him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, you're old. <laughs> and he is too. What I did is I actually went up and told Ranch. Yeah. That Ranch needed to talk to Shannon about it. Otherwise, I was. And I, at that point, I didn't know Shannon Campbell from. Well, Shannon didn't wasn't Shannon. Shannon right. was just another rock crawler guy, you know. And that's the thing is back then, nobody had a big name except for Walker and the Currys, in my opinion. Currys because of the the long-standing, you know, business that their dad put together and Walker for the obvious accomplishments that he had, you know, you, you go from, from that day with, with Shannon and fast forward to what I think it was his first rock crawling win at Globe, Arizona in 2004 or five, something like that. And the dude's crying because he you know, on the podium crying because he, he finally won one, right? After five, six years. And it's a big financial commitment. It's a hard, hard thing on your ego. If you go, you know, you're the, the top dog in your neck of the woods 
and you go years without a win, some guys go their whole career without one. So when they finally do get one, you know, even if it's a small event or if it's, you know, at that point, the We Rock National Series, you know, that's a, it's a big deal. And so, you know, it's one of those things, it's very humbling to, to see that. And then fast forward to today and the guys won countless championships and he's the, you know, kind of the consummate professional when it comes to how a lot of racers emulate their own particular race efforts and project that as well. So he's really a, one of those guys that you learn a lot from growing up in the sport. And, and it's just really cool to, uh, to see how um, he helped progress the sport in that way. And, and all these guys have been extremely influential on, on me and my life and what we do even today with, you know, with trail hero and, and what I did with we rock when, when I was out there with you. And so, you know, there's growing up with guys like Lance Clifford and, and Bob Rogie. I think I learned more from Bob Rogie and the guy said 20 words to me in 10 years, you know? <laughs> so it was, I learned how to watch and learn and I didn't have to listen because first of all, I was pretty rebellious, but second, um, he didn't say much anyway. So I think <laughs> Still I, <doesn't. laughs> yeah, I think I threatened to, to fight him a couple times and he just laughed at me because he would have just crushed me. But it was, uh, it was definitely a love hate relationship at the beginning. And I can't tell you how much I love the guy now, but um, you know, he's, he's just, he's an amazing person and he's, he's helped foster, you know, my, my wheeling career as well. And so, you know, I look at, he's one I'd like to get on the podcast, but he's not going to say anything. I know he's just going to sit there and, mm. <laughs> mm. but he won't have a neck. He'll... Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. The, he'd be, I mean, you gotta get, <laughs> they probably won't get this podcast, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, you've got, uh, you know, all these guys that, and, and, and females that were in the sport in the early days that, uh, that really made the sport unique and fun. And, and as they move on to other things, you know, you have new blood that comes in and it's really cool to see, you know, where the sport is now and how it is influencing a younger generation. Like it influenced me back in those days. Um, and then it's influencing a younger, younger generation now. And so I've kind of been big on, trying to get some of the older vehicles kind of back into use. I was, uh, I feel like kind of instrumental in, in getting Damon back into the, the JR Bronco. Yeah. We're talking about back. Damon Hopper. Yeah. Yeah. Damon Hopper. And then, uh, and then get him into the race. And then you look at, you know, I actually bought uh, Brent Bradshaw's single seat uh, Honda buggy that he competed in a limited class with at rear steer and, and whatnot. I bought the chassis for that. And, uh, we've been you know, slowly restoring that for Austin and his friends. I had, I had at one point I bought Jesse's original Willie's buggy and drove that for a while. 
Uh, that's here local, owned by a guy named Rick Jorgensen, and I'm waiting for him to put that up for sale again, and and then I'll probably pick that up. <laughs> and then uh, you know, use car lot out and back. Oh yeah, oh you should. It's bad. <laughs> My neighbors hate me. And now we've got uh, you know John Bonderon's rig. So in addition to that, I've got James Tracy's rig, which actually. Uh, just got sold. It will be uh, going off to the new owner in the coming weeks. And then I still have uh, Masa's Pro Mod buggy, his Twisted Customs car that he entered KOH with as well. That's sitting in the side yard. We're prepping that for for Neazumi and his team for the upcoming season. So, yeah, Aaron Sykes will be driving that. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And so uh, lots of good things. We're, you know, as far as helping the, the guys in the sport and, and kind of carrying on th- the tradition. We're happy to do that. And then, uh, you know, just looking back at the old days of, of rock crawling, it's, I mean, I remember at one point I even owned uh Shannon Campbell's single seat porpoise buggy. Yeah. You know? So always trying to, to, you know, just follow the footsteps of those guys and make sure that when they look back on the sport that, then I know you feel this way that we kind of did it justice, you know? And so it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. So in the early days when we, uh, before we even got started with, uh, with Cal rocks and then into we rock when we were in Cedar city, Utah, and you talking about the gold country or color country four wheel drive club, we tried to put together a, a trail ride to go along with, the event. I think we did it two years in a row with the ARCA event when it came into Cedar City. But again, as, as most things are club-wise, there's only typically, you know, you might have 20, 25 club members or more, but you only have three or four that ever really get involved and do any yeah. of the hard work. So that, that went by the wayside, but we'd always talked about doing it again and got too busy putting on the comps themselves to do anything else. But, you know, talk about what you're, uh, what you're doing now. Yeah. So it kind of throughout the sport, you know, we always, all the promoters, even though that we were always kind of in competition with each other, we always had this brief discussion. Wouldn't it be cool? You know, and everyone kind of does that in every sport or every facet of life. They've always got somebody they bounce ideas off of. And at one point we talked to all the promoters and said, wouldn't it be cool to host one just big event where we all just kind of chipped in and made something really cool. And we each did our own facet or style of our, of the sport. And I remember talking with XRA for rock racing. We talked to Dave from ultra four back in the day, like the early days. And it was always, yeah, that's a really cool idea. Let's do that. But you know, in all honesty, everyone's kind of doing their, their own thing. And, and, it takes a lot of effort to, to host an event, especially a series, especially a national series. With We Rock at the time, we were also san- sanctioning events in different countries. So, you know, it was it was a lot to try to take on to try to do this. Wouldn't it be nice event? And and then of course you you get into you know spectator fees and who gets what, and it just never never really works out. So. One of the things that I really enjoyed from those early days was that Color Country four-wheeling event where we did trail rides uh, mixed with the, or in conjunction with 
the rock crawl. And I thought, well, you know, there's, that was a way to get, you know, thousands of spectators out there and, but they can enjoy themselves as well as, you know, not just in uh, trail riding, but also in entertainment with watching the event. The, we kind of took that, that page out of that book and, and then thought, well, if we do that um, for one day, we get, we, we should essentially do that for every day. So let's talk to all the promoters like we had originally talked about and do this. Wouldn't it be nice event? But, you know, one of the things that I, I had a hard time with in the early days of rock crawling, and this was every single promoter, you know, you get so absorbed with, with getting to the next event, tearing down, you're on a timeline. And so you're moving and packing up and there's some loose ends. And sometimes they go to the wayside. You try not to, but it just happens. And you end up, the, the impact you have on the community is a good one. It's entertaining. It's safe, you know, and, and everything. But at the same point, uh, there can always be more, right? And so I wanted to make sure that whatever we did as far as this wouldn't it be nice event is that we had a real tangible goal where we impacted the community. I look back to building and having that XJ for grandpa. You know, for him, you know, he would have never gotten on the Rubicon without that thing. And it was, it was really cool for him to spend time with you and I up there and, and everything. So the impact that had, you know, not only on him, but also on me just saying, you know, we did this and, and it was a lot of fun, especially for somebody who was, you know, in the military and did, did all that. So that was kind of the, the direction we decided to go was we, we want to support our veterans. As we grew, that the veterans movement for us turned into um, also people with special needs. And that was based off of land use and being a steward for, for land use. But so now we have all these wants and desires and how we want to impact the community and, and work with the promoters in the sport and then offer this trail ride. And it ends up being quite the dang undertaking. The first year we stressed ourselves out. <clears throat> Every single person wanted to quit. It was as much as I was into project management and scheduling I didn't take or I took for granted my own personal work ethic and expected everyone to kind of meet the, that standard. And not that they didn't, they absolutely did, but they hated me for it afterwards. And so we, we looked at it and, and said, look, we were, there was a lot of things we were successful at. Many people didn't see in the first year how stressed the, the event actually was, but they knew that the message was right. And so the easiest way to put it is, so we host this event called trail hero. It's a four day guided trail ride event with free rock sports entertainment after your trail rides. And our message is providing motorized access to people who need it. People with special needs and veterans. There's different themed days of the event where we take out, you know, one day is special needs access day where we take out members of the community and give them motorized access to the outdoors. They can't go for a hike, jump on a horse, ride a bike. The vehicle is the extension of their, their body. Essentially it's their legs to go, uh, go for that hike and, and go see the outdoors. And so 
We have these community outreach programs, special needs access or our veterans access day, get those different uh, user groups out onto the trails. Uh, at the same point, you've got regular trail rides going on. This year, we're up to 132 trails that will be guided throughout the week. And that's Jeep, buggy. That's still four days? That's still only in four days. Wow. And, uh, and we expanded to side-by-sides as well. It is crazy how big it's gotten in such a short period of time. The first year, we had 400 and. 20 something or 430 something uh, vehicles uh, for our guided trail rides. Last year, we had 1,597. And then at, at the same time, we had 5,800 vehicles that were just on the mountain having a good time and being there for the event. And they didn't necessarily pay to be part of the event, but the event is actually 100% free if you wish to just be there. You can watch the rock crawls for free or the rock racing for free. And our idea is that no matter what you're doing, you're still commu- uh, you're still giving to the community through economic impact. <laughs> so you're getting a hotel and you're buying fuel and food and, and all these other things. And, and that brings an immense amount of value to the event as well. So even if they don't, aren't paying specifically for the trail ride, they still have an, an, a way to impact our, with our message. So yeah, they're, and they're still participating in the vendor show. Yes. Uh, you know, yeah. talking to your, your marketing partners and stuff. So, yeah. And so we're not worried about every single dollar that comes through and trying to, you know, pinch it out of every person to us. It's like, you want to go on a guided trail ride effort. That's one thing because we actually have to pay, you know, BLM state parks and 10 property owners just to use the area, um, just to be able to provide those guided trail rides. So that we, we charge for it. Um, however, the competitions themselves, we've been able to loop that into our permit, and it just is a part of the cost of the permit, and there's no real other extra cost to it. So a lot of the, the competitions, well, they're, they're 100% free to spectate. There's a, there is a cost and a purse for uh, competitors. But other than that, it's a relatively affordable event that everyone can kind of enjoy for a week-long period of time with their family. And we have we've added an immense amount of different projects to the event to make it more fun for, for spectators. And, and so what are, what are some of those, uh, what are some of those events within inside the event? Yeah. So essentially we want to make sure that it's kind of sensory overload. Every minute of your day is consumed by an event. You don't have to be at it, but if you want to, you can. So as soon as you get done with your trail ride, um, we have generally we have competitions that you can go to and watch for free. If competition's not your thing and you just want to go trail riding and you know wife and kids are are done trail riding for the day, we have a, a beach party with a bonfire and a, and a 150 foot slip and slide for the kids into the lake. So there's always something for the family to do. Last year we had a concert on the beach ended up being Afro man who played. And that's thanks to Robbie Flandro, all those companies up Northern Utah that kind of helped fund that. Every, every aspect of the, of, of the event has something for you to do. And, and it's kind of funny because <clears throat> this is how the event evolved. We said first year, you know, we want to do trail rides and spe- you know, special use activations and then do these competitions. And 
after the first year, even though we tired people out, our staff out and everything, our staff came back and said, Hey, you know, it would be even cooler if we did this next year. And so I implemented a policy that says, you see it, you own it. So (laughs) if you suggest we do something, we can move forward with it, but you're managing it. And so you end up getting, you know, a lot of uh, personal connection for them and and being tied into the success of, of the event. And at the same time, it relieves pressure off of the rest of the staff. And so we, and we all now have our own departments that each department is responsible for getting their own volunteers for their own events. And whether it be uh, you doing the rock crawl at one point now, Jesse's doing it with super crawl or, you know, Val really wanted to do a slip and slide into the, into the lake. And now, so she, that's part of her deal. And, and uh, Val's our, Val Douglas is our uh, marketing director. <laughs> you know, she, she came to me, well, we need to do live coverage. Okay. Well, there you go. That's your job. Good luck. <laughs> and that's kind of Michael. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of the way uh, the event kind of has flourished. All these things are operated or run by people who thought, Hey, that'd be a really good idea if we did that. And it's like, well, you opened your mouth. If you want it to happen, you got to run it. And so, you know, that's the reason why we in, included side-by-sides. We work with uh, Keith Hook at uh, Jam Spot Media and UTV Sports Magazine. And he essentially hosts the side-by-side rally at Trail Hero. You know, we wanted to have side-by-side events separate from the the other events. And there's a couple locals who wanted to help us do that. And so that's that's their contribution to the event. And so that's kind of it's kind of been a, this organic build for the event. And we kind of just say, look, here's your, here's your canvas, paint it however you want. And we just provide the sponsorship and the people, and then they host basically an event during our event. And it turns out that we essentially have something for everyone and it's been a lot of fun. So you say it's four days. Are you going to expand that into a, a longer period at some point to, to help with the load of vehicles that show up? We definitely will. I mean, so that's the interesting thing is um, we, we already have people. The, the event starts actually on a Tuesday, and we do a charity golf tournament for Four Wheel to Heal. And then we do our kickoff party Tuesday night, which is awesome. Live music you know, first chance to get all the merchandise before it gets sold out. You get all your trails, you hang out with, you know, these heroes of the sport, guys like Jesse Haynes and Cody and, and the trail breakers and Justin Kyleman and, and racers and whatnot. And so um, it's just a fun event to be at, but there's no real trail ride until Wednesday. And so what ends up happening is the event even though it starts on a Wednesday, people show up the Saturday before, make sure that they have their campsites, that they get some wheeling in without the guides or whatever. It turns out that a lot of those people, they come by the trailer. Hey, is there anything we can do? And heck yeah, we load you up with banners and <laughs> yeah, take all this shit and go out there and put it up. And so it helps us host the event. Right. And, 
they they get there Saturday and then they leave. Our event ideally ends goes from Wednesday to Saturday. They leave the sun that Sunday. They help us tear down the event as well. And here's just random people that they didn't sign up for the event at all, or maybe they did, but they're out there working with us, and it's just really cool. And there's been some thoughts in expanding and doing more guided trail rides, and that may happen. We if we were gonna on projected to completely sell out this year. Things have obviously changed a little bit, but you know, the, if that if we get to that point again, we'll have to expand, and and that's fine. It doesn't bother me one bit. We don't want to ever sell out. We always want to have somebody who needs a guide can always have one. And so the interesting thing about Sand Hollow is it's not Moab or any other trail anywhere else in the world because it's open access OHV, which means open recreation, which means you can you can drive up any canyon, any rock, anything you ever wanted to do. You look at it and go, wow, that looks like fun. Go do it. There is no actual trail. What makes that difficult is the between the weather here being our torrential downpour, like, I don't know how to put it. Uh, monsoon. Monsoon season, yeah. Or our, you know, the, the town's called Hurricane, but it's spelled Hurricane, and, and it's that way because of the winds. Um, Every year. <laughs> At the, the end of these events. <laughs> in the winds, you can't tell that there's ever a trail there anyway. And so... It, it sand hollow actually can be quite dangerous if you decide to go explore you can get yourself into some trouble and if not and and you're not exploring you're not you're just kind of running around going well, where's all the trails i see all these cool pictures and i i don't know where these spots are the guides are very important and even though we've you know we've contracted cardo tracks to do all of our mapping and they're they're excellent accurate maps for the mountain the big thing is people still, it's still hard to navigate out there if you don't know where you're going. So the guided trail rides are an easy way for us to to help people understand where the trails are or what we call trails out here, you know, and it's essentially a, a spider web of routes through some rocks. And we've just designated, you know, one, one leg of the spider web as a trail. And, but you can bounce from trail to trail and obstacle to obstacle and, and really get lost out there if you don't know what you're doing. Absolutely. And get your vehicle into a spot where you went into this canyon and it was it was risky, but it wasn't that bad. And now you're at this big obstacle you can't get around. And so now you have to go back and you have to go up what you just came down or whatever and or down what you just came up. And there's really no safe way of doing that if you're not careful. So we've worked with BLM and getting signs up and mapping done and, and really developing this open OHV area into a legitimate park. It's a lot of fun. Do you remember when uh, we used to go down there with the club? Hurricane Sand Dunes? Yeah, did the Sand Dunes. I mean, it it didn't even have a real name then. Yeah. And there was no roads. There was no lake. There was no golf course. No. There was no state park. No houses. We'd go park across from where... Walmart is. In Hollow Off-Road or Walmart. Yeah. And then we'd, it was a, it was just an adventure getting to the sand dunes. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I remember doing all that. And at that point we were driving a Dodge D50. Well, we started off with the, we had the, the flat fender out there. Then we had the Chevy pickup. Then we had a Bronco. 
and yeah, the Bronco, and then we also had the the D fifty. The most capable off-road machine ever known to man, a Dodge D50. As long as you carried a lot of rear drive lines. <laughs> yeah. And momentum. Yes. <laughs> Which is why you needed the rear, rear drive lines. Correct. Yeah, the, the, uh, that place has grown. I mean, it's, it's almost its own little town now, you know, and, and, and it's cool to, to see the growth. It's the only place that I know of in the world where you're a mile from town you can drive to town if you want there's a golf course across the street five star it's open to the public and welcoming to people there's a lake across the street you can drive your vehicle right into if you wanted to never have to touch sand with your feet you just jump from your vehicle into the water you know and camp right there on site and if you need anything you could drive your rig into town and get groceries in my opinion there's not a a single place in the world like it and so, you know, partnering up with the state park and San Hollow Resort and all the other local community members to build this event up has been amazing. You know, the Hurricane Recreation Center has always been a staunch supporter of ours. And Steve Nance, San Hollow Off-Road, does everything he can to help us. And and same with, you know, Dixie Four-Wheel Drive and, and Red Desert. They, they're always big supporters. And there's a couple other shops here. Eminence is a good one. Um, that, you know, they, they come out and they, they show up in force and we, and we give, you know, just to be good community members, everyone from Utah gets a, uh, business wise gets a Utah discount, basically local discount. And we just want them out there to, to enjoy the event and prosper. And so if they do well, we do well as a community. And so that's kind of our goal there. It works out really well. It's a lot of fun. Excellent. You're gonna you you've got. Uh, I know you said you're you're building, trying to get a buggy built for Austin to uh, and his friends to drive in. Um, do you think he'll ever uh, start competing? I don't know. Uh, to be honest, it's, it's hard to get him to do anything but play Fortnite. He's not <laughs> he's not passionate about much, um, but that dang game. Yeah. So it's tough to tough to say, but he loves driving. I know that. And the thing is, he doesn't want to spend, he doesn't want to work. Well, I shouldn't say that. He likes to work, but he likes to spend his money on stupid shit, which we all did. Well, he's 10 years old, right? I, yes. I can't expect him to save a hundred bucks, let alone, you know, several thousand to build this car. And so I told him, you know, every dollar you save, I will you know, every dollar you save and spend on the buggy, I will spend five times that amount, spend a hundred bucks or he saves and spends a hundred bucks. I pay 500 bucks just to kind of help him with the process. But the idea is that you're working hard, you're saving money and we're building this together. I'm not going to build it for him. After owning the chassis for three years, it's still sitting in the exact same form at Woody's shop. And I've acquired some parts for it here and there that, you know, were cheap or free you know, through deals or whatever, but, you know, in all honesty, I don't know if he's, he's not that person, you know, as of right now. And so he likes driving, but he's not a builder by any means. So at least right now it doesn't kind of capture his attention. So one of the kids that is a builder is uh, Braxton Coleman. 
Right. He just, he's got it. You know, he works hard at the trail hero events. We pay him to be there and I teach him how to do the same thing. We try to teach Austin and, and he saves his money and he spends it on his quad or, or whatever. And so we told him going into this year, look, if you work hard, instead of getting cash, I'll give you the chassis. So he then went and found a off, off Facebook marketplace, a free vehicle that would basically be his parts car for the chassis. Nice. And so he's bound and determined to build that thing. And so that, that is what we really want. We want the interest. And so that, you know, Austin, as much as uh, he had the opportunity, he also in many ways lost it. And so, you know, Braxton will get a chance to build it. And when Austin gets to the point where he sees his friends building what was his, uh, maybe that'll light a fire under his ass to start doing something. So uh, if not, that's fine too. You know, you can, what I mean, my goal is as a parent to, you know, uh, reinforce his, you know, his desires and what he wants to do. And right. He ain't going to play a fucking Fortnite all day, but you know, <laughs> go pick up dog poop or something, you know, <laughs> um, but you know, it's something he really likes to do. And, and, yeah, so um, whether or not he'll compete, I think it's good for the kids to compete. The biggest thing is teaching them, and it's it's nice that it's a closed course, but teaching them throttle control, spatial awareness, you know, how to take a command and put it to use, and, you know, and then building a plan and executing the plan. And that's those are all traits that you can take into – your professional life as well. And so uh, for us, it's important to, to offer that to the kids period. And so Aaron and Crystal Coleman, they're a huge part of what we do every day with trail hero, you know, getting involved with Braxton and getting him who's, you know, wildly interested in the sport, getting him, you know, some seat time and, and then building this vehicle with him will, will help foster that younger group to to get involved with competitions and what i like is now reach back to the old days you know, shannon had a shannon campbell had this great opportunity being a, a dad who's winning and sponsored by monster energy and all this stuff and and now it's like well i want my kids to to be able to race and and, and compete and do this one day and what's the best thing for them well next thing you know he built a car for Waylon, and Waylon's out there competing at 14 years old getting his, his feet wet and understanding spatial awareness. Where, where are your tires in relation to you and in relation to the cone? And that's ultra important when you get into, um, you know, actual high speed racing, because you understand the parameters of your vehicle and you're not going to hit a rock or a person or, or a, an obstacle the wrong way. You hit your line and you do it right. And you do it the first time aggressively and you make it through and you move on. So that is, you know, something we want to build, with the, the younger group as well. And Braxton's going to get a chance to do that. And if, if Austin gets his shit together, then maybe he will too. <laughs> so. yeah, we, uh, we started last year. We had a, I had a guy call me up um, and say, Hey, I got a five-year-old and he's got a, we got a mini buggy that he wants to compete in. And it was a buggy built around an ATV motor, samurai axles, and, you know, about 70 to 80% of what a full-size vehicle is, an adult vehicle. They came out and competed. He was five years old during the season, turned to six. 
he's going to be competing again this year. But now, and that was on the East Coast. Now we have a, and he's there out of Oklahoma. Now we have a West Coast competitor that's five years old, and his dad is, you know, they built a a buggy, same thing, kind of, uh, you know, the same percentages being used and everything. And so it's really cool that that's happening. Cody Wagner, you know, he's got that little mini twisted customs car that Ryan Busa built for him. So it's 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 really great to see kids getting involved at even a younger age than we got them involved back in the day. I mean, you know, with, uh, with dirt riot and then with we rock, you know, we had, well, both of the Campbell kids out there, but everybody was always 12, 13, 14 years old, but now we're starting to see them at five years old. So that's pretty dang cool. Pretty cool to be able to help a kid develop, not just, you know, his driving, obviously at that age, whether or not he's a good driver has nothing to do with anything. Exactly. Um, but what you're doing is you're developing his character and his personality and teaching him through probably, you know, the school of hard knocks, what's right and wrong about being a, a sportsman and a steward and, uh, you know, the environment and, and how to carry on and, and be self-sufficient. And, and so all good traits to have, you know, and, and, uh, Anytime you can get the kids involved, it just makes the sport so much more fun. So, yeah, exactly. What else do you have? You know, we, uh, one of the things, projects that we've been working on is the media side of Trail Hero. And we've been really good, I feel, with how we've promoted the event and our message. And then, you know, and then building Sand Hollow from basically being this obscure, set of rocks that nobody really went to or knew of to being literally the the hot spot for off-road in, in our opinion, you know, and you've got all these people that are, that are, you know, either selling companies or moving them to Southern Utah and, you know, buying houses from Lance Clifford to live here at the dunes with us and, and go wheeling. And so the development has been great, but uh, we've been, Media wise, we've been really pushing our television shows. Um, you know, we have a television network on Amazon Prime Video, and you can catch, you know, all the Trail Hero events. And anybody who wants to distribute good content, we can help them do that on our Amazon Prime uh, network. So, we'll talk a you, bit, talk about that. What it, what's it called? And so, our Amazon Prime network is called Torn, which is the off road network, and we work in conjunction with Amazon to build. Uh, house for off-road content. There's two media houses that are um, kind of pushing that. One is Motor Trend, which is a pretty big name, and the other is Torn. And so uh, Motor Trend is, you know, it, they are a, a privately promoted and essentially you know, publicly owned by uh, Discovery Channel. So it's kind of a big conglomerate and and very difficult to get your content into there. But with us, we are, as long as you have good content, we're open to helping you distribute it. So essentially, you're getting very similar distribution to Motor Trend, and it's all being promoted and pushed by Amazon. So you're able to get your, your content in front of you know hundreds of thousands of people weekly. And, and then the profit center for it is much more obtainable and larger than uh, YouTube. So you have a real professional outlook. Uh, you get a real check, tangible check, 
as your network grows or your show grows on our network, you make more, you know? So, uh, and on top of that, you get real distribution. It's not Netflix, but it's the next, literally the next best thing. So, um, and it's, it is definitely several levels higher above YouTube. So it, it works really well for us. We've got a couple shows. We call them, one's called driver's seat where we sit down with, you know, celebrities of our industry and go trail riding. And it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, celebrities in cars or celebrities in taxis in New York type feel, but we're on the trail wheeling obstacles. And sometimes it goes great. And sometimes we get in a rollover and it's kind of crazy, you know, what we got to do to get out of it. And, and there's uh, it's a, it's a lot of fun. And so we've done one with uh, Tony Pellegrino and one with Steve Nance getting ready to do one with the rockstar garage guys. We've got one coming up with Agility Off-Road in northern Utah. And then in a couple weeks, we'll be with Bailey Built, Gordon Bailey, and a group of Broncos on a very, very difficult trail. So it's it's pretty entertaining. The entire show is produced and edited while we're driving on the trail. I have the switchboard in my lap, and not only am I the host, but I'm also switching cameras, and there's, you know, two cameras two cameramen outside the vehicle kind of filming how the vehicle goes through. And then we mount cameras inside the vehicle for, you know, as we talk and and whatnot, it picks all that up and the audio and, and uh, we just tell a story and we also teach you how to get through the trail. So not only do you get a chance to see some wheeling, you also get to experience the trail itself and find out from the pros how they attack certain obstacles and, and are successful or unsuccessful getting through. So, you know, you'll get someone like, you know, Tony Pellegrino on Double Sammy. He he did really well um, at telling people what and how to get his Jeep through, you know, this really popular trail at San Hollow. And then in between the obstacles, you get a chance to kind of open the book of our celebrities um, like Tony or Steve or some of these other guys and see, you know, what makes them tick? What, what is it that they, you know, what's the message that they want to, they want to tell their, their fans or their viewers. And it kind of gives you an an opportunity to, you know, it's a similar feel to instead of being in the crowd with a hundred people getting the, the professional Tony Pellegrino who, you know, is overwhelmed by a lot of people this is a, a way to basically sit in his motorhome and ask him any question you want, you know, and on a very personal feel. So you get to understand that, you know, his kids drive him and generate to be successful. And, you know, he's really looking forward to his kids taking over the business soon. And that means to him and how he fostered his kids to, to feel that, to, to fill those shoes and, and you get to really understand who these people are. So it's a lot of fun to watch. And uh, and it's pretty cool to just be a part of. It, it's all very, uh, I don't know. It, it, it's interesting being first person there experiencing it and then being third person watching it as well. It's still an entertaining show, even though I, I produced it. And so, you know, and then you get into a, a trail like Steve and he did Broken Chain. And that's one of the most difficult trails in the mountain. and I mean, he almost rolled over a couple times and then went off the line and slid off, a, you know, a couple times. And it just goes to show you how difficult 
these vehicles, you know, what they're capable of and, 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 and the difficulty of terrain that they can go over. And Steve's, you know, a consummate professional. He's obviously a two-time trailbreaker winner, been in the sport since the beginning uh, competing. And now you get a chance to see him, you know, tackle these obstacles, tell you how he's doing it from a professional point of view. And then in between the obstacles, he talks about the transformation of Moab and how it, it grew. And then, uh, you know, what he sees here at San Hollow and, and how it's going to grow and, and how his kids are involved and whatnot. And it's just a lot of fun. Excellent. So, uh, anything, uh, any, we've been, we've been doing this now about an hour. Um, great interview, by the way. Thank you. It's, it's great just to have open conversation and just be able to talk. I'd like to do it again with you. Um, I'm thinking about doing maybe a round table where we're, there's three or four of us from back in the day, maybe yourself, Josh England, and maybe Dustin Webster. And we can sit down and talk about more campfire stories. Yeah. You know, things, well, that, things that happen that we won't get into everything that ever happened because some of those things we probably don't want to share, but, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but just, you know, everybody's feelings on some of the stuff that, that happened back in the day personally, but we'll do that after we get a few more interviews done and, and introduce some of the people that we'll be talking about, you know, is there anything that you can think of that uh, you want to touch base on that we haven't? Well, you know, I think that uh, I've got a lot of funny, funny stories from back in the day, really kind of crazy. Some of them obviously maybe shouldn't be said, but if we're going to do that, you know, we started this at 9 a.m. And I woke up 30 minutes before this, and I'm, I'm not drunk yet, yeah, obviously. <laughs> so if you want good stories. We got to do it later in the day. At least 10 a.m. start so that I can get a drink in. Well, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad you just met you right here. Because <laughs> I was sitting, I was laying in bed reading a book when you text me and said, hey, are we still doing this? And I looked back on the text to see what what time I had said. Yeah. And for some reason, I thought we were doing this at like two or three in the afternoon. And it was like I was like, oh damn, I got to get up, take a shower, be ready, <laughs> shave. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I tell the kids, you know, the whole coronavirus thing. The kids are at home doing school here, and I tell them, like, usually now I'm the teacher, and I don't want to be the teacher. Oh, they're in trouble. I know it. <laughs> And Britt, she's at work right now, so she gets off right now. And so uh, I'm like, look, you're going to do everything you can to do your, your schoolwork, and you're not going to bother me one bit while we're doing this. And I already know they didn't do shit. Like, you know that they didn't do anything. You're like, oh, yeah, Dad, we'll do that. And yeah, bullshit. That didn't happen. <laughs> so, yeah, I think uh, a little later in the day would – probably get a, a couple more entertaining stories out of me and not so uh, professionally structured, especially if we, every time I'm talking about trail hero, it, 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 I'm, I need to be in uh in one particular professional light. But if we get a chance and we say, you know, Hey, this is all about old school, crazy shit that happened. Let it, ha- let, let's do it a little later and I'll have a couple drinks beforehand and then we'll get loose and have some fun with it. So sounds like an idea. Sounds all like right. An idea. All right. Well, cool. thank you for uh, for spending your morning with me and uh, get out there and with my grandkids and teach them something. Yeah. Uh, teach them more than I taught you, <laughs> if I taught you anything. And uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> long list. <laughs> we, we won't talk about those. Um, but anyway, thanks for coming on. 
I just want to say, you know, congratulations on everything you've done with Trail Hero and uh, raising the kids and being the dad that you are and uh, the son that you are. So thank you very much. Great. Thanks for having me. Likewise, obviously today, I know you, you don't really date these things, but uh, it being April Fool's, I'm my hands are tied. I'm not allowed to yeah, post no more. anything. So <laughs> I'm 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 very much restricted from being the typical me yes. on April Fool's. I've done something every year for forever, and last year was a little too much. But anyway, uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate this, and I, I can't wait to do it again. Okay, thank you. See ya. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Forlow Magazine for contributing to the success of this podcast. Forlow Magazine, an enthusiast magazine for the 4x4 off-road community. Well, that brings this episode to an end. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you next week with Conversations with Big Rich. Thank you very much.